Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We set our hearts right now before you to hear from heaven. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come and you'd be our instructor. I pray you would release understanding and light to us right now. You draw us into the knowledge of God. For that's our greatest desire, is to know Jesus more. So come now. I pray you'd stand with me and you'd hold my hand. and Let me speak as an oracle. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, turn with me uh, to Romans chapter 5. We are uh, in the middle of a series where we're talking about glory in tribulations. That's the title of the series. And we are going through these different facets that Paul lays out in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 5. He lays out for us, um, it's a summary of what we receive, uh, the, the concept of justification and, and the implications of what justification produces for us. And so what we've been doing is just week by week working through the different operative phrases here in Romans 5, 1 through 5. And uh, rather than double-stitching, I've done that week after week. We'll just go ahead and we'll launch right in. Let's go ahead and read uh, our verses here again. And then uh, we'll we'll go into this week's uh, phrase we're going to focus on. So it says in verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. These are rich, rich phrases. Through whom also... We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I'll tell you, the... uh, these, these verses have such a, a light on them right now for me. For some reason, I, uh, a couple months ago, I was just reading through the book of Romans. I'm, I'm in a study on the book of Romans. I was just reading it through, and it's almost like these five phrases just, became, just have a light shining on them. And I, I would just say this is, this is accurate. Virtually every time I've stared at these verses over the last two months, which has been a bunch... It still has that same revelatory uh, peace on it from heaven for me. And, uh, and the more I stare at it, the, the, the more light and the more life seems to be on these verses. I, you, know, you know that's the working of the Lord because you can read the scripture so many times and you'll just read through and it's good. But you don't, it's not necessarily leaping off the page. But I tell you, these phrases have been really sticking out to me for, for a couple months. And, uh, and so we've worked through... Uh, justification by faith, and having peace with God. There's a little phrase there, through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to skip that phrase in terms of doing a whole teaching, but I want to just make mention of it. Because when you look through the New Testament and you find out everything we have through Jesus, oh, that's a good little study. (laughs) And I've gone through and just read... As much as I can find, I'm sure there's more, but basically everything I could find that says something we have through Jesus. And uh, really in these phrases, Paul is making a point of that. Actually, he's saying 
uh, we've been uh, justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, through whom, through Jesus also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And it's explaining to us what we have through Jesus. Well, Jesus called himself the door. He called himself the way. And so uh, let me just touch this phrase. Let me just read to you some of the things we have through our Lord Jesus. Well, as I mentioned, we have justification. Romans 5 right here says it. We have peace with God. We have our introduction or access into grace through our Lord Jesus. Ephesians 2 says we have access to the Father through the Lord Jesus. Ephesians 3.12 says we have boldness through the Lord Jesus. Romans 5.11, later in this chapter, we have received the reconciliation, which we talked a little bit about last week, through the Lord Jesus. Galatians 3.26 says, through him we are sons of God. Romans 7, 24 and 25 says we are set free from sin and death through Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says we have the victory through Jesus. Romans 5, 17 says we will reign in life through Jesus. Romans 5, 21 says we receive eternal life through Jesus. In him we live, we move, we have our being. There's no other way to live this life but through Jesus. Any other version of life is inferior and lesser and not how people who are designed to live. We're designed to live through Jesus. The perfect man, all God, all man. And he's become ours. And he is our door. He is the way. And there's no other way to live this life but through him. And I tell you, there is, there is a rest that enters my soul when I realize I'm not supposed to live through me. I'm supposed to live through him. This is not about what I can do, what I can produce, how good I can be, how creative I am, what I can accomplish. This is about me and my brokenness reclining on the breast of the one who is perfection itself. And living through him gives me everything I need pertaining to life. In godliness, exceedingly precious promises. And so uh, Paul is emphasizing that. I'm not. I'm going to say just about that and nothing more. But he makes that point here in these verses that this is all through Jesus, guys. It's all through Jesus. And so he goes on and he says in verse 2, Through him also, or through whom also, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And there's several things through this chapter that he says that by grace we are enabled to do. We are enabled to stand by grace. We are enabled to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God by grace. Which that is a loaded statement, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. We'll get to that in a, in a future week. And then he says, we're able to, by grace, rejoice. Most Christians, I don't think we really have our minds around this. But it says we're able to, to rejoice or glory in tribulations by grace. In tribulations, you're able to glory. That sounds like real Christianity to me. The version of Christianity that says, you know, uh, there's no challenges, no trials, you just keep rolling, and if you've got enough faith, it's going to be, you know, you're just going to be walking on the clouds. 
that version doesn't seem to accord with the New Testament. Because what he, he seems to say here, and it's throughout, I mean, just read Peter. Peter will really land it for you. But that grace and faith, they don't stop you from having to uh, go through trials. They enable you to stand and rejoice and be buoyant and alive in God through the trials, through the afflictions, and yes, even through the sufferings. And that's Christianity. And I was looking at that phrase, glorying in tribulations. That's the, that's the phrase of our series. And I'm thinking, my gosh, how little have I actually gloried in tribulations? Well, this faith that we have gives us access to grace that enables us to glory in tribulations. And so today, rather than focusing on grace, I want to focus on this faith. Faith that it, the, the different translations, some will say introduces us to grace, some will say grants us access, but I want to talk about faith that grants access to grace. Faith that grants access to grace. Grace to stand, grace to live, grace to, to do everything we've got to do, grace to be saved, and grace to live it all out. Faith that grants us access into grace. And so uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that oftentimes this is how it works for us. The Lord will speak to us. He will deal with us perhaps about a direction that he wants us to go in life. We will sense the leading of the Holy Spirit. God will make clear to us, this is what I'd like you to do. And we sense a little bit of a a buzz from the Spirit of the Lord. And there's a a new thing in front of us. It's exciting. It's a, you know, we we sense the challenge of going after something new in God. And so we, we, in obedience to the voice of the Lord, we say yes, and we begin to set out on a journey of faith to do what it is that God's told us to do. And uh, I have, I've mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I know that I've taught this in an incomplete way. Oftentimes I've taught grace as an inner resolve to uh, accomplish what it is that you feel like God's telling you to do. It's not necessarily a big, big feeling, but a, even an inner resolve that you would sense that, that that's a sign of grace on your life is when you feel that inner resolve to do what you feel like God's calling you to do. And I do believe grace can be evidenced by that inner resolve, that inner sensation of feeling like, hey, this is what God wants me to do, and I feel a leading and an urging inside, and, and I, it's hard, but I'm going to go for it. Well, what happens a lot of times is this. I think that we get called by God to do stuff. We set out on the journey to go do that thing. And, and what I mean by going doing it, it doesn't mean you have to move somewhere. I'm just saying in God being obedient to the leading of the Lord. And, and what happens is this. As we begin to go through the, uh, the steps to walk out being obedient to what God is asking us to do, many times it gets challenging. <laughs> and what will happen is when it gets challenging, I think this happens to a lot of us, When it gets hard to be obedient, a lot of times we automatically assume, therefore, then, that we don't have any grace. And so what we'll do is we'll say stuff like, the grace is lifted. Not really feeling the grace of the Lord anymore. And and I want to say this to us. The question really isn't, do you feel the grace of the Lord? And we, we have made that the issue. Do you sense the grace of God in it? No, the question really is, is it what God asked you to do? 
Because if God asks you to do it, you and I have an opportunity then to do what he asked us to do or to not do what he asked us to do. And the question mark isn't, do you feel good about it? Because what we do is we will go ahead and insert the way that we feel in the place of this idea of grace. And we'll say, well, I'm not really feeling grace. And really what you mean is you're a little oppressed. And it's gotten a little hard. And so because it's hard, it's a little oppressed, there's some trials, there's some challenges, whatever. All of a sudden the grace is lifted. And, and I think this, I think we short circuit the, the activity of God in our life that desires to bring us to completion and perfection in Christ by stopping when we don't feel like things are going well, even though we know it's something God has called us to do. And what we'll do is we'll talk ourselves out of the calling of God because it feels difficult and we'll get ourselves another calling. Amen. We do that all the time. And either we don't get another calling and we just sort of simmer down and forget about thinking about doing something great for God. Or we just trade it off and get a different calling because it's hard. And the problem is we've had a wrong understanding about the activity of faith and the activity of grace. And so therefore when trials and challenges come, we think that's a sign that this is not God leading us. But I want to tell you the exact opposite is true. That when God leads, you will experience trials and challenge and problems. For sure. And the presence of trials and challenges and problems does not identify that you don't have grace. It's probably an identifier that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And our challenge is we don't really understand the activity of faith, the journey of faith. You know, faith is a journey. There's 229 times this word faith is used in, in the Bible. Guess how many of them in the Old Testament? It stunned me when I saw it. In the New King James Version, two are in the, in the Old Testament. 227 in the New Testament. Huh. So when grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ, what, what the Lord was also telling us by the 227 times he references faith in the New Testament is, it's going to take a lot of faith to step into that grace and stand in truth. In the Old Testament he said, here's the law, follow it. The operative word was obey. Now in the New Testament the operative word is Believe. Believe. And so, I think what we have done is we've thought, well, if I don't feel it, if my inner resolve is lifted, that's the sign the grace of the Lord is gone and, and I'm not supposed to be doing this, I need to be doing something else. But uh, I think the real question is, did God change what he asked you to do to begin with? Come on. Did he actually change what he asked you to do? It's possible he did. It's possible he revised it. I mean, that's not impossible. God does that. He gets us on a journey and he continues to, to hone and focus the direction. That's totally possible. 
But what I wonder is, God will many times set us out on a journey. It gets difficult. And what I wonder is, when we are pressing eject and, you know, bailing out, is God saying that? Or are we just saying, well, I don't have the grace to do this anymore? Well, the thing about it is, and Paul tells us this in Romans, and this is actually, you see it throughout the New Testament. I could really present a case uh, on this point, and, and I will in, in, in a certain way this morning, but not in, in a, any detailed way. But the, the truth is this, when you step out in faith, then grace comes along and enables you in the journey. That's how it works. It mostly doesn't work like this, where you're just sitting there, and all of a sudden, this, this shower of grace falls on you, and it just sort of lifts you up, and you just sort of start just dancing, and now you're just flowing into what God wants you to do, and you're just being carried, and you know... It doesn't really work like that. We, we want grace to come in and sweep us up and just carry us along on a cloud of, of sweetness. But that's not exactly how it works. There may be times that God's grace comes on you like that. But I'm telling you, that's not the uh, main way it all works. Grace comes as a divine enablement when you obey. And your obedience is the sign of your faith. So when you step in uh, obedience to God's direction on your life, when you step, grace comes. And grace comes not necessarily to just sort of float you on over the top. It comes to get you to not give up. (coughs) Amen. Grace is mostly there to get you to what it says, this grace in which we stand. It doesn't say this grace in which we float effortlessly over the top and just find the sweetness of the roses and the flowers in God. It it doesn't say that. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Stand. And if you are standing, hear me right now. Some people, you're going through horrifying trials, challenges, problems. Things are exploding left and right. If you are standing, I guarantee you, that is a sign of the grace of God working in your life. And and so often we look and we're going, man, it's horrible. It's ugly. Look how bad I'm doing. I'm so weak. If you're standing. And standing simply equals you haven't rejected the Lord Jesus. If you're on this side of rejecting the Lord Jesus, here's rejecting him and serving the devil, and then here's staying in the faith. If you're on this side, you haven't rejected Jesus, you are standing. Come on. And grace enables you to stand. And it's by faith that we've accessed to that kind of power to enable us to stand by faith. Simply by faith. And so, what I think that we, we have uh, maybe done a little bit of an injustice in is that we've kind of um, <clears throat> attuned ourselves and taught that the Christian walk doesn't have challenges. And we've kind of thought when people go through challenges, they're either missing God or they're backslidden or whatever. But 
when you look through the New Testament, the apostolic example is in obedience to God, they go through massive challenges. That's, that's what it looks like. Look at Paul's resume. When he says yes to God, boom, everything starts blowing up. He was having a good time killing Christians and arresting them. No problem. He decides to serve Jesus and says yes to faith. The, the biblical phrase is he becomes obedient to faith. And in becoming obedient to faith, many challenges, trials, afflictions, persecutions, they begin to rain down on Paul. And Paul gets it. He goes, you know what? I'm going to glory in these things. Because it's when I'm weak that he is strong. <clears throat> He's, the point is, he goes, when I am clearly unable that's when divine enablement comes. That's when grace comes, enable me, enabling me to stand through the challenges. We, uh, we don't have much of a palate for that. We, we don't desire that. We, we want it to be all flowy and easy and nice. And I tell you, yes, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, for sure. That's where peace is found, is in God. But that does not mean that there will not be trials, challenges, and sufferings. In God. And, uh, and so anyway, we've kind, of, we've kind of done a little bit of a disservice to people believe, uh, having them to believe that in Christianity there is no challenge and no trials. But, but hear, hear the words in Acts 14, uh, 22 from Paul. And he's going around, he's, strike, he's strengthening the churches he's already planted. In Acts 14, 22, he goes back through the churches and it says he was doing this. He was strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith. And what is your exhortation to strengthen their souls, Paul? Guys, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. That's the exhortation that's strengthening their souls and exhorting their faith. Tribulations happen, and they're going to happen. And it's through those tribulations that we enter the kingdom. Now think about that. That's the apostolic exhortation to strengthen the heart. <clears throat> that's, the, that's Paul's apostolic exhortation to strengthen the heart to stand. I think we're not, we're not really around that, but we need to be. And uh, yeah, I won't, I won't go. I think we're a little soft. Amen. Okay. And I don't mean tender in God. I mean just soft, marshmallowy, pillowy, soft. We bruise easily. I mean, I, I want to be gracious and tender-hearted to the to the weakest among us. I really identify with that. But I think sometimes we give in way too early. We give up too early. There's abundant grace available to the one who will simply step in faith. So, when we desire to be obedient to God, when we, when we move in faith, then grace comes to enable us. And so, it's grace to serve. It's grace to give. It's grace to bless. It's grace to live as a Christian. And, and it's not going to happen because we feel it. It's not going to... Grace, uh, standing and serving grace on your life is not going to necessarily be something you feel. For instance... When Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Do good to those who despitefully use you. 
you don't have to raise your hand, but can you think of a time when you were despitefully used? Did you feel like doing good? No, but I guarantee you, there was grace available for you to do good to them. Otherwise, Jesus couldn't have commanded us to do that. And so we have the word instructing our hearts. What do we have to do then? We say, God, I'm not feeling so much like this. I don't feel grace on this. But in obedience to your word, I'm going to step that direction and do good to those who are spitefully using me and abusing me. I guarantee you, you never felt like doing good to that. I mean, maybe, and that would be a, a supernatural act of grace. I mean, just an overwhelming act of grace where all of a sudden you're just feeling really loving toward the guy that just punched you in the nose. I'm like, I just really love you right now. Could you hit me again? I'm loving you. Like, that is so, you know, not out, that's so out of the norm. Maybe you've been there. I'm not usually there. But, nonetheless, there's an act of obedient faith by which we obey the word of the Lord, we step by faith, and supernatural grace, it comes and enables us to walk through that. And it doesn't have to do much with how we feel. Grace enables us to stand through the trials, through the challenges. And so I was thinking about this, and I was going, you know, Lord, you are powerful. You're able to do anything. Why don't you just come on me with that supernatural grace? Because you and I have all felt that thing where grace is just showering us, and we're like, man, I can do this. And we felt that, that those moments. And I'm like, why don't you just do that to me all the time? I could probably get a lot more done for you. And I, I don't think really in God's mind it's about how much I can get done for him. I think it's about how much I can be conformed to the image of his son. I mean, I think that's really ultimately what it's about. It's not about how cool, how many gospel crusades, how many souls I can say, da-da-da-da-da. I think it's really about how much I'm conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus. And so he's like, yeah, I could put grace on you, and you could be like in, you know, like supernatural mode all the time and whatever. Or what I can do is have you operate by faith. Grace comes, enables you to stand, and you move along becoming conformed to the image of my son. And see, it's kind of like this. I, I was thinking about this. You know, it's like my kids, I will tell them, you know, uh, maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, go in there and maybe they're yelling or something or they're mistreating each other. And I'm going to go in there and I'm going to say, okay, guys, listen, stop. I want you to love one another, be nice to each other, share, whatever. And, and, and if you, any parents, if you've ever done this, I know you have. And, and you'll tell them what to do. And then what you'll do is you'll get just around the corner so you're still in earshot so you can hear what's happening in the room. Now, you could run back in there at the first moment that you hear kind of the thing beginning to stir up again, or you stand off and you just sort of listen to see if they're going to be obedient and step in the direction you asked them to do. And there's sort of this, this thing where you want them to come into agreement with what you've already asked of them to do. And sometimes I think that's a, a sort of a picture of the way it is with the Lord. He asks us to move, and all of a sudden we don't see him, feel him, hear him. We want that supernatural grace just to carry us on through, but we're not feeling anything. We just have this direction. We have this scripture. And so we're like the kids in the room where the parent has told us, hey, here's what I want you to do, and then the parent walks out, and then we have the opportunity to obey or disobey the thing. 
And I tell you, when we obey, grace comes and enables us to obey. And when we disobey, well, we got to repent and then obey again later. But I think sometimes that's the way the Lord handles us. I think he just steps because we don't feel it, you know. And Because I'm, I'm like, how come I don't feel it all the time? And I think he goes, I just want you to obey what I told you. I told you, now just be faithful. You don't have to have a big whoosh on your heart to be faithful. And faith and faithful are so close in the Greek. Faith and faithful. Faithful is simply being uh, obedient to faith. That's being faithful. So I started looking through and, and reading. I read all the verses about faith. And there's, there's a couple points about faith I just want to make. I realized I could, I could do a, a long, long series on faith. I'm not going to. Uh, not right now anyway. But uh, I just want to make, I want to draw some points out about faith. Um, number one, I want to say this. Faith is authored by Jesus. It's authored by Jesus. So I, he makes it real clear in Hebrews 12. He says he's the author and the finisher or the perfecter of our faith, Hebrews 12 too. And so I was looking at that and I was thinking, okay, you are the one that creates faith. You make this stuff called faith. You make it. I don't come up with it. You make it. You're the author of it. How is that working? God creates faith. Jesus creates faith. Faith is a substance that you can sense internally. You know when you got it and you know when you don't. He makes this stuff called faith that we can feel on the inside. He's the author of it. And what he does is he makes this stuff called faith, he authors it, and then he offers it. And you have the opportunity to, as the scripture says, become obedient to it, to say yes to faith, or say no to faith. And and I tell you, right in there is the struggle and the tension of the human heart. Because what will happen is this, Jesus will author faith, he'll offer faith, And then it's whether or not we become obedient to the faith. He makes this stuff, this substance of what we hope for, this evidence, this internal evidence on the inside, he makes this evidence in our heart of stuff we don't see, he creates it, and then we choose whether or not we want to agree with it. Some reject it. The scripture is clear. There's many times where people reject faith. They resist faith. They resist truth. And they reject it. Some agree with faith. Say yes to faith, and that's called belief. I know this is simple, but this is, I believe, how it works. He authors it. He offers it. Some resist, and some say yes. Some obey, become obedient to it. And there's a process I believe it goes through. It's like this. Truth is revealed. God reveals truth to the human heart. And there's three options. When truth is revealed to the human heart, this could go for an unbeliever or a believer. When truth is revealed to the human heart, then you have the, the, this, this recognition of truth. And so the person who sees truth, he has this opportunity to believe because truth is what faith is based in. So he's an opportunity to believe. If a person says yes to truth and begins to live like that truth is real, that's called faith. Another person will hear truth, 
And they will resist and reject truth and live like that truth is not real. That's called unbelief. And then there's a third category where we hear truth. We agree that the truth is true, but we don't live like it's true. That's also called unbelief, but what we see really in there is it's called unfaithful. Unfaithful to the truth. And I think it's like this over and over and over every day with us. God speaks truth to us. We then have the opportunity to agree or disagree with truth. If we agree with truth, then we have the opportunity to live like truth is true or to live like truth isn't true. And isn't the bottom line, doesn't it really boil down to this? When you know truth and you live like it's true, that's faith. That's really faith. But when you resist truth, or when you hear truth and agree that it's true, but you don't walk as if it's true, isn't that really simply unbelief? Beloved, that's really what this thing called faith boils down to. An authorship by Jesus, an offer from him to you. Will you believe or will you not believe? When you agree that what, the, what he says is true, you're halfway there, and then to walk it out, that's the second half. That's how we walk in faith, by believing the truth and walking it out. Or the, the opposite of that is hearing the truth and resisting the truth and living as if truth isn't true. And really what we do to live as if truth isn't true is we just come up with a counter-truth, a lie, to believe. To root our lives in. And people all day long, they live believing lies. And the result of that is this. Lies blind and lies bind. But knowing the truth and living like it's true sets you free. It's not really that complicated, though we tangle the thing up in so many different ways and put so many knots in it. Here's what I'm realizing. Faith is mostly about enduring. It's mostly about being faithful. It's not simply assenting to truth. And it's not even really mostly about getting good things. Faith is mostly about enduring to the end. Faith is about walking out what you believe faithfully. And so when he says you've got faith to access grace to stand, he's talking about living this thing out like you really believe it. Saying yes, believing God for the grace to stand, and standing firm until the end. That's mostly what he's talking about in faith. And when you read through all the the times faith is mentioned, Faith is really about faithfully enduring. That's what this thing is really about. Most of the uh, uh, explanation of it, there's, there's basically two strands of explanation of faith in the New Testament. One is the explanation that faith is what you are justified through, not by works. And Paul, in Romans and in Galatians, he lays that out in detail. And then most of the rest of the explanation of faith is... Enduring faithfully. Will you endure faithfully? Will you continue to believe what you say you believe? And I tell you, even when you don't feel it, 
When you step because you're being obedient to the word, grace is there enabling you to stand and, and, and enabling you to be faithful. Faith gives you access to grace to stand. And so what I'm realizing is that faith is what Paul told Timothy. It's a fight. I know this might seem a little simple, but it is. It's absolutely a fight. Because there are so many things that come in opposition to our faith. There are so many voices, so many accusations, so many lies that sound like truth. There's so much that's trying to overthrow faith. There's so much that's trying to shipwreck faith. Those are biblical terms. Faith can be overthrown. Faith can be shipwrecked. Faith can be resisted. And there's so much in life trying to overthrow our faith. Scripture says there's many voices, none without significance. And those voices all the time are trying to pervert, the enemy's voices are trying to pervert the knowledge of God. In other words, trying to overthrow our faith. They're trying to pervert truth. And so Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. And then at the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And finally, there's laid up for me the crown for all those that have loved the Lord's appearing. I was thinking about Paul. He's the, the premier writer on faith. And the journey that he had to go through from hating Jesus, hating Christians, to loving Jesus Fully obeying the heavenly vision. He says, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. He fully obeys it. He fully walks it out. Through all this trial and hardship. Through multiple beatings, shipwrecks, all these things, misunderstandings. Even with the people that he loved and gave his life to. Until even at the end of his life, many, many that were close to him leave Paul. But he's able to say at the end of his life, I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. Beloved, that's really what this is about. Fighting the good fight of faith. Becoming obedient to the author and the offer of faith that Jesus gives us and staying faithful and enduring to the end. This thing is a journey. It's a fight. It's something we grow in. Everything tries to shout at us that the word is not true. And there is a fight in our soul to stay true, to to stay faithful to the truth. I want to uh, just mention Abraham. It would be almost wrong to do a teaching on faith and not mention Abraham. But think about it. Put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Romans 4, 18. I'll just read it to you. It's going to come up. It says, uh, In hope... Against hope, he believed. What is that? In hope against hope, he believed. So that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet... With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. I love the Lord's 
process of summary here. He kind of revises a little bit what actually happened. Abraham kind of laughed. I remember there's a point there uh, where they both laughed and then she laughed. But God says he did not waver. God's very kind. What's he saying? Abraham thought about the circumstances. He went, man, I'm old. She's old. How is this going to work? Beloved, this is, this is the bottom line of faith. When your circumstances don't make any sense. When circumstances don't make any sense. Is the promise of God real or not? Is the truth true? When everything's yelling at you. Telling you that it's not. And, and, and the bottom line of faith is not whether you feel it or not. It's whether or not you reckon God to be true. Whether you reckon the, the, the word of the Lord to be true. It says he contemplated it. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he didn't waver into unbelief. He didn't get over to that place and say, well, God's got to be not telling the truth. Or there's got to be a different truth than what God said. He did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. That's it. That's it. That's where faith, that's where faith ignites. Truth is authored, and faith is authored, and truth is given. And whether or not we will side on the side of the Lord with truth and faith, or whether or not we will disbelieve. And oh, I tell you, I want to be one like Paul, that through the challenges and the trials, through the, the, the different things you go through in life, I want to be one like Paul that comes out and says, I fought the good fight. Fought the good fight. Oh, beloved, can you imagine the day we get there and we actually get to see all the trials that the saints of old and, and those around us, we didn't even know what they were going through. And the trials of faith that believers have had to go through and they've continued to believe. I mean, the persecutions, the pressures. Oh, to stand firm in faith, believing God. Even... Even at the sacrifice of our own personal well-being. Moses, he, he says he didn't want the pleasures of Egypt. But he obeyed God. Faith to stand even through the trial and the persecution. And even through losing it all. Now Jesus said, or, or the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus, that Jesus is the author and the finisher or the perfecter of our faith. And this is what I want to get to. I'm just going to land with this. The author and the finisher of our faith. He creates this substance on the inside of us. And he sees to it that that substance of faith on the inside of us. That it actually has the opportunity to grow to completion or to perfection. I like that. Now we're familiar with Romans 10, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Faith comes by hearing the word. But how is faith perfected? Somebody's like, I need more faith. Read the word, you get a little faith. But how does faith grow? And how is it perfected? <laughs> you all don't want to know. No, truly, we don't want to know the answer to this. Because we want faith 
to move mountains, and to make us happy. We don't want faith necessarily that's going to conform us to the image of Christ. But really, that's what our faith is about, is being conformed to the image of Jesus. Let me take us through a few verses. Hebrews 12, I'll just read it. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about those who are faithful in Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Running with endurance, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Weary and discouraged in your faith is the idea. He goes, when you're going through it, consider Jesus and endure. Just like he endured, you continue to endure unless you become weary and discouraged. Hebrews 5.8. Of Jesus, he says this. Verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. It says Jesus, in the days of his flesh, offered up prayers with cries and, and, and tears. He was crying out to God. Verse 8. Look at this. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Flip over to Hebrews 2. Verse 10. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. <laughs> For which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. He's talking about this, beloved. He's talking about the, the path to Christian perfection being this. We have faith. We trust and we believe and we obey God. And when trials and challenges come, we continue to trust and obey and believe God whether or not we feel it. And we don't cop out saying, I don't feel the grace. No, faith enables you to access grace so you can continue to stand and trust and obey God. And there's this way that Jesus was perfected. He was perfected through sufferings. And he became obedient through sufferings. And it actually says of Jesus and of us, we are all of one. What am I trying to tell you? Yes, faith comes by hearing the word. Yes, Jesus authors faith. But Jesus also perfects faith. And the way that Jesus perfects faith is the same way that his own faith was perfected. By going through trials and going through sufferings and enduring faithful unto the end. That's how your faith is perfected. 
We've had much teaching on faith and very little teaching on suffering. And we've neglected this massive point. You want strong faith? You want mature faith? You want faith that's real, that endures? I promise you, I promise you, it will come through trials and sufferings. And that is the proving of your faith. That is the testing of your faith. Beloved, that is the perfecting of your faith. Jesus authors it and Jesus perfects it. How? He serves up some trials. Does it say he's the perfecter? It does. Does it say that he was perfected through enduring sufferings? And does it say that we're of the same as him? Do you think there's another way for me and you to get it? Come on now. He authors it. And he perfects it. He authors faith. He says, access grace. What are we, trying to, what are we going to do? We're going to glory in tribulations. Remember, that's our original thought here. Because you're justified, you're proclaimed innocent, you got peace with God, you got faith to access grace. Grace to do what? To glory in tribulations. Why would you have to do that? Because you're on a path to perfection. That has to do with you going through sufferings and trials. Welcome to Christianity. I mean, this doesn't sound like any Christianity I ever heard of, but this is, there it is. We have to endure. We endure to the end. And that's faith. You know, We've been quick in the body to say, hey, that person have much faith. You know, they got this issue or that issue, they have much faith. Well, let me ask you something. Are they quitting or are they enduring? Because if they're enduring, I think that's good faith. They're showing up again and again and again and staying faithful. Oh, the beauty of that. That a broken frame riddled with sin and accusation and every obstacle hell can come up with that would try to get somebody to to capsize their faith, that one would stand through every possible attack and remain faithful to the Lord Jesus. They will come out the other end with perfected faith. First Peter 5.10, it says this. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you've suffered a little while. What's a little while? 70 or 80 years. Eh, it's not much compared to eternity, really. It's nothing. I love what Paul said. He goes, because I'm convinced the sufferings, this life are nothing to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. This momentary light affliction. Do you mean when you were getting beaten on the back with cats of nine tails multiple times, the momentary light affliction? Is that what you mean, Paul? He's, no, I was actually talking about when I almost drowned a few times in the ocean, but yeah. He goes, the momentary light affliction. It's working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
Oh, beloved, I believe there is faith. There's operational faith to do the operations and the acts of God on the earth. I believe faith can move mountains. But I tell you what we cannot neglect is the truth of this. That faith absolutely does move mountains. Faith absolutely does do supernatural acts on the earth in this age. But faith is perfected through trials and sufferings. James 1, he said, count it all joy. When you go through various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work in you. That you would be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Hey, I want to tell you, if you're going through something... It's probably a good thing. Because you're probably on the pathway to perfection. It may not look too perfect, but that's how he does. That's how he does. It's called being conformed to the image of Christ. And I tell you, at the end, he's going to have a bride that looks just like him. Oh, we're going to look just like him. Conformed to the image of Christ. Beautified through the furnace of affliction. Jesus, the captain of our salvation. Well, I tell you what, if he's the captain, we're on that ship. We're all going through it together. Have I communicated? Faith is perfected through trials and sufferings. Faith accesses grace that you can stand in. It's obeying even when you don't feel it sometimes. That's the precious procession of faith that's been tried by the fire. That's it. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. Oh, that precious possession of faith that's been tried by the fire. Oh, I want to do better for you. I want to articulate these things better for you. Oh. I don't feel like I'd be bad. I just, you know, this is, this is important. Access by faith into grace. And that's how we stand. God, you love every minute of it. You love every minute of it. Not because you're sadistic, because you see the end from the beginning. You work all things according to the counsel of your will. And you desire us to be conformed to the image of your Son even more than we do, and you see the beauty of the heart that's been purified through trials and sufferings and has stayed steady and endured affliction. Count it all joy. Knowing that the testing of your faith through trials will have its perfect work in you to be perfect and complete lacking nothing 
you, Jesus, you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, I pray that we would have faith to see healings and faith to see the blessing of God released in this life. But I pray also that we would have faith to endure unto the salvation of our souls. Faith to stand through trials and sufferings. Faith to be purified in the furnace of affliction and come forth beautified. Come, Holy Spirit.